Good evening. This is a bit out of sorts for me since I usually have a mic in my hand trying to belt out a song, but uh, I apologize. Where's Mark at? Is Mark here still? Mark. I, uh, Mark and I talked last week about who's covering this Sunday, and I never got back to him. And 24 hours ago, I decided I was doing this, and then I clued Mark in. But uh, either way, uh, this is what I wanted to talk to you tonight. It was kind of an extension of um, uh, a um, devotion we had with the deacons retreat here a while back. And uh, it's, it's pretty much what we're saying. And what are we going to say to those around us? But uh, let's have a word of prayer real quick. By the way, Dave said, he said this morning he's a, a singer and a, a plumber and a poet. I, I, I'm a poet. Some people know, some people don't know. Yeah, I, I like to sing and, and uh, I can fix a leak on the spot, but for preaching, a preacher I'm not. <clears throat> but let's, let's have a word of prayer. Well, we, uh, we may be taxed and tired at times by all the hats we wear, but, uh, whether it's a, a ball cap or a hard hat or uh, whatever hat we're wearing, Lord, we uh, we ask that you remind us to put on that helmet of salvation every day. Everywhere we go, everything we do, every every bit of work or praise or speaking that we do around us or people we come in contact with, that they may see that helmet on us under whatever hat we're wearing. Lord, we ask that uh, anything that's said or done in this church be to edify you and to lift you up and to uh, draw others close to you. These things we ask your name. Amen. Again, this isn't my gig. <clears throat> I'm usually singing somewhere, and especially on a Sunday night. This is one of the few Sunday nights I've had open to be back at my own church. But um, way back this winter, we had a deacon's retreat up at, at uh, Grandview, and Corey asked if I wouldn't have the devotion. And I didn't know what to talk about then, but actually what to talk about was what to talk about. And that is how we're speaking to people and how we're addressing those around us. And it was mainly for the deacons because one of the things we stress is, is uh, you know, a calm, cool demeanor and speaking to those properly and encouraging those around us and, and not to have a lewd, crude tongue, but to, uh, to be edifying and to uh, love our brother and sister. Um, <clears throat> ironically, a lot of stuff came to me that night when Corey called, and uh, like most... Um, this isn't a sermon. This is a message for me. But they're uh, they're they're self-lived, of course. And this this was for me self-lived. Most of this. If if I was to say to you, Pati Deutsch you wouldn't know what that. Bless you, probably Betty said. Or if I said Karisi Leuda Vertira, you wouldn't know what that meant either. Or Sakatiu Neris Dimi Sopa. That wouldn't register with you, would it? That first one, Vestipati, Kastadoichpetsa, is Amish, for what's wrong with you, don't you speak Amish? The second one was Russian for good evening. The third one was get your nose out of my soup in Spanish. <laughs> I, I've experienced all those on job sites, especially working with the Amish. Now, I got all three of those in one day. I was doing a high-rise at West Liberty University. Above me were the Amish doing framing. Below me were Mexicans doing drywall, and the floor above us were Russians doing granite and marble. If you stuck your head in the elevator shaft, which is empty, it sounded like New York. Uh, voices all over the place, and, and uh, what stuck with me were, were the Amish, really, because they were the most vocal. They talked the most amongst themselves, amongst everybody else. You just couldn't always understand them. 
And I've worked a lot with economics the last maybe six, seven years. And uh, especially recently on a, on a new house, we're, we're involved in a mansion out on Chapel Hill, and the Amish, they're doing a lot of trim work and things like that. And they, uh, they were starting to bother me. <clears throat> and that was, uh, they could speak very good English, or as they say, English. But they refused to do that. And we, a bunch of contractors would sit down at lunch, and we'd be across the room from them, and they'd be, oh, it's Couldn't understand a word they were saying. And they, every once in a while, I look over at you and grin and start talking again. Well, that, that's rude. I'm sorry. Uh, when you can speak English and you don't, you refuse to. Uh, but I thought I'd get them one day. One of their oldest guys was really good at communicating with all of us. He never did speak Pennsylvania Dutch around us. He spoke very good English. And I told him one day, I, th- I think it's kind of rude of your young guys to speak Amish when the rest of us speak English. And I said, it's kind of unnerving, like they're talking about us. Or He said, oh, no, they're not, but I'll get on their case. I'll tell them to speak English. Well, the next day they were doing it again. Well, uh, they would look over and kind of roll their eyes, look at the next guy and look directly at me and keep on talking. And I heard the word deludergeter, just like that, deludergeter. Well, that's Amish for plumber. I didn't know that. I thought they called me something else. Uh <laughs> But I have one thing that the Amish don't have, and that's a cell phone with language apps on it. So I looked up some Pennsylvania Dutch, enough to be dangerous. So I walked on the job site one morning, and I walked past all them boys sitting there. And they, you would think they'd be uh, very uh, legalistic in their, and, and most of the things they are in their faith. But a lot of them smoke and rub, rub skull and chew tobacco, and they were all in there rubbing skull and chewing tobacco, and and I walked by them, and they started doing you know, all the, you know, the stuff they do. Well, I picked up my cell phone and acted like I was calling somebody, and I ripped off a couple of Amish phrases. And before I was done in Amish, I said, don't you understand? It's the plumber. And I said all that in Amish. And, boy, they just stopped. And they stared like, oh, we can't talk that way around him no more. <laughs> my point is this. Uh, in our faith... When we're talking amongst our Christian brothers and sisters, are we being, let's say, rude by not being inclusive? Uh, I say that to say this. When I was involved in He's Alive, and I'm fortunate and blessed to do that every year, we have certain people that will be asked to pray over us all. And uh, Ronnie, without mentioning names, Ronnie will know who I'm talking about, but there's a few of them. But um, there's an old saying that says, he who is the wisest man can speak to every man. And some of these folks would uh, start their prayer over a group of people who were multiple denominations, multiple levels in their faith, from babes to saints. And uh, the prayer would be so over the top, so theologically based, that some people were turned off who weren't Christian, who were just part of the, the theater production. The babes in Christ were like, ooh, I'll never attain to that level of theology and faith. Some of the ones that knew every word he said were feeling bad for those who didn't get it. Now, yeah, that reminded me of these Amish boys that would only speak Amish around us. To some of these babes in Christ or non-Christians, this was all Greek, what he was saying. And uh, instead of speaking ecumenically or just speaking Christ and faith in our walk, 
some of these people were a bit befuddled. And like, I, I don't know what he's talking about. And some of us, uh, Brother Jason that comes with us, he was singing with us. And it, it really irritated him a lot because a lot of us would play cleanup for a half hour afterwards. Where some would come to us and say, what do you mean by that? Now, we have been so blessed in this church that every man that has stood in this pulpit, but we never had to ask what he meant by that. Amen? We never had to scratch our heads and say, what? where is he getting that? Uh, from Reverend Steele to Reverend Price, Jay and Jason, uh, we, uh, we've been so blessed to have the Word and, and, uh, and to leave here filled, not scratching our heads. But <clears throat> I, I, I bring up those things uh, because I think our, not just as Christians, as, as just average people walking the earth, we have a tendency to stick our foot in our mouth from time to time. I know I do. And as Christians, it's very dangerous. And that's one of the messages I brought to the deacons that night, that even we could be speaking the honest-to-God truth about whatever it is, and we, a slip of the tongue, like we mentioned earlier in deacons' meeting about loose lips sink ships. We've all heard that saying. Saying the wrong thing at the wrong time can be misunderstood greatly. Now, on the receiving end of that, we as Christians should be forgiving. And if we don't, hopefully you all, if you hear me or any of the deacons or anybody say something you don't get, or is misconstrued, please come to us. That's your responsibility, is it not? I, I don't understand, or I, I misunderstood what that person said to me or preached. Don't languish in that. Like, like Jason said last week, don't let that go. Come to that person and get that over with. Um, and, and I think our, our, our mouths can sin as much as our bodies do. And we've always heard about the, the sins of commission, the sins of omission, and sometimes we don't hear the sins of no mission. You know, our our, uh, our mouths get us in trouble by speaking. You know, that we we ho- hopefully all avoid bad jokes and vulgarities and and mean and curt abrasive behavior. I'm, I'm thinking back of a I I got my large print because I can't read my Bible. Um, <clears throat> in Ephesians five four it said, "Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving." And how many times uh, we, we hear people being short-tempered with us, even here in the sanctuary, in this church. Uh, they don't get the answer they want quick, or, or maybe we don't get a response that we want. We get a little short-tempered. Uh, actually, I, I've been on job sites where you've heard somebody say, he speaks like a drunken sailor. I, I would sometimes rather hear that drunken sailor with a, a bad heart but a, a decent mind Rather his vulgarities than hear my brother or sister in Christ across the pew be abrasive or curt with me. Because then I, I got to question their love of Christ and, and mine at that point. Uh, I, I know where that drunken sailor's heart is, and I know what he needs for that heart. And it's easier to approach that. Uh, it's, it's a caution I threw out to our deacons and to myself and to you all that we, we, uh, we curb our tongues and our temper especially when we enter God's house. Um, the, the other uh, sin of our mouth is the sin of omission, where well, I think we forget sometimes, because we're so busy, uh, we, we may forget that attaboy somebody needs or somebody deserves, um, or that encouragement somebody wants to be part of a ministry or start a new ministry, and, and maybe we hear about it, and instead of encouraging we go, that, that ain't going to work. I, I would, I'd stay away from that. I, I, I say encourage them. If it fails, it fails. If it's of God, it's not going to fail. Amen. And if you're 
going to answer a phone. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just teasing. Teasing, Ken. No. Uh, but when we, when we fail to give somebody an attaboy or encourage someone or, or be the level-headed one in a conversation or the, or the mediator or be the one discerning in the conversation, we, we omit them too. We, we've taken our good speech out of that situation. Uh, <laughs> who, who better than Peter? You know, when I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed in, in some regards, and he's allowed to play Peter. This is like the fourth or fifth year. And people say, oh, you do a great job of that. I hate that role. I really do. Uh, because whether I hear it or not verbally, I feel it's typecast. You know, what typecast means, it's me. And um, Peter was great for o- omitting the truth and not telling people, like, we all do at times. We all deny Christ in our own way. And uh, this this past year, I think, was, was my worst or, or best portrayal of Peter. I don't know how you want to call it because um, somebody in the cast told me I need to give a little more to that role. And, and what I did was all, all three performances, I kind of held back any of the emotions or anxiety or animosity I had towards how I might have treated someone that week. And I held it for that moment. And I'm supposed to cry and show anguish during the denial scene. And uh, it never really bothered me or I never saw a good approach to that because I'm not an actor. I'm a, I just play one on TV. No, I, I'm a plumber that, that likes to sing. And I, I filled a role that somebody asked me to fill. But uh, Joel McMillan, who plays Jesus, and... And if I had a visual image of Jesus, it would be Joel. He just looks like the picture I, I see of Christ, a meek, mild person with a soft tongue. And that's, that's actually who Joel McMillan is. And, and this year, the, the opening night, when we leave the communion table and Peter goes off to himself and he's begging Jesus to come be with him and talk with him, the scene goes... Jesus comes over and greets Peter, and he holds his arm. He, he's comforting Peter as Peter says, I got your back. I'm always going to be with you. I love you, and, and I'll follow you anywhere. And at that moment, I, I didn't see Jesus or Joel anymore. I, I saw Jesus. And, and Jesus didn't say, it's okay, Peter. I know what you're going to do. I, I, I heard him say, Bob, I know what you're going to do. And and Bob, in a Peter outfit, said, I'll follow you anywhere. I mean, that's the role I'm playing, and that's the dialogue, but I'm in it. And in, in that comforting, condescending way, Joel, Jesus, looks at me and hits me and says, It's okay, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. And both characters say, I'll follow you to prison. I'll follow you to death. And finally, after playing that role four or five years, I finally get what Jesus, what Peter's mouth was saying and what my mouth had been saying. And that final scene where people were accusing me of knowing him, and I tell them, no, I don't know him. You don't know what you're talking about. And it finally, it finally got to me that you're Peter, all right, and you have been typecast. And, and as much as... I, I guess I like being a part of that. I really do hate that role, but don't we all? I, I hope 
my fellow deacons or my fellow church members call me on something like that. Hey, I saw you somewhere and you said or acted this way. And by the way, that is your responsibility to me. And that's my responsibility to you. And I hope you do call me on it. But Peter, Peter stands out in my mind as the, as the most offender of the omission. And the last out of that is the, the, the problem or the sin of no mission. And, uh, I, I, I know they say Christians are known by what? They know we are Christians by our, by our love, by our humility. But are, are people hearing a mission out of us all the time? Uh, do we talk to others not only about Christ, but we talk to them about our church, about our functions, about how we're treating each other? Uh, do they see a missionary? Do they see us engaging them or encouraging them? I, I hope we do, and I hope people see that. And Second Corinthians uh, 1, 3, 4, uh, it says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. You know, I sophomore, but when I hand my son a bag of chips on the couch, I expect him to share them with his siblings. And I, re- I really think when God hands us a blessing, he expects us to share that with our actions, especially with our speech. And, uh, and, and that bugs me when, when my kids don't share it. I'm, I, and when they don't get along, when they get foul mouth each other and mean and curt, as a father, you don't have to be a, a father to be a good Christian. But, man, I tell you what, being a father, I really relate to God being a father. Because when I see my kids fighting and not getting along and mean-mouthing each other, I'm thinking, man, I bet he's had it with us. And Because and, I've had it with my kids, and I, I have to separate them. And I think God does that in his own way with us, separates us, so we will appreciate each other more and get back together. You know, uh, I, I think sometimes some of the things we say are just as important as what we don't say. Uh, it was, uh, y'all remember, uh, Peter Sellers in the Pink Panther movies? Y'all remember them? Pete, uh, the, uh, Inspector Clouseau, he, he was taking a tour through the country and he went to a country inn. And when he went to the counter to check in, there was a little dog by the counter. And, uh, he looked down at the dog, looked up at the innkeeper and in his French accent, he says, does your dog bite? And the innkeeper says, what? He said, does your dog bite? And the innkeeper said, no. So Peter Sellers reaches down to pet the dog, and the dog latches onto him, and he shakes the dog all over the place, and blood, and he's holding his hand, shaking, startled. He looks at the innkeeper, and he says, I thought you said your dog does not bite. He said, that's not my dog. <laughs> well, we could speak truths that don't mean anything to anybody, and that's kind of what bothered me about some of those uh pastors that have prayed over us at time to time in events that they, they don't think about everybody in the room. And, and Brother Ron back there, I do appreciate when you pray that everybody's included in that prayer. And uh, sorry, I got, I got my notes screwed up here, but uh, very little levity, Ron, that's what you get. <clears throat> but no, le- leaving out some of the important things in our speech and our conversation uh, it's just as bad as putting too much information in. Uh, how many of you all get stuck on the phone with telemarketers? 
I mean, you can't shut them up, can you? Hang up, yeah. But don't they give you too much information for what you're giving them? We give a yes or a no, and they tell you about the next sales pitch. Uh, some of the folks that pontificate and go on and on, I just went to the National Day of Prayer in St. Clairsville and, and sang over there, and most of the men that spoke were, was from the heart, and I appreciated hearing them as men in their fields telling what God has done. And isn't that, isn't that our only mission, really? Telling people what God has done through us. And it was nice to hear these men of different, you know, political backgrounds and sheriffs and so on. Um, what bothered me were some of the ministers who insisted on us hearing their doctrine and pontificating over every scripture they had ever read. See, I can, I can pick up a drill out of my toolbox and I can, I can show you all what I read in the manual. I can show you the flywheel and the magneto and the gear drive and all the electronics in there, but all you want to know is, does it drill? And that's non-Christians. They all, all they want to know is, God going to work for me? And I think, I think we over-dramatize things instead of just simplifying it. Yes, God will work for you because he's worked for me. And that's a very simple speech. And when you hold up your little list of what he's done in your life, I think they'd rather hear that than a three-hour sermon. You know, I used to do a song called, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. And, and we can be walking sermons. Uh, I think we miss out on that, that we don't have to be a Ron Price, a Tom Steele, uh, a uh, Billy Graham. We can be a Wayne Eberle. We can be a Dave Hoskins. You don't want to be a Dave Hoskins, but even Dave doesn't want to be a Dave Hoskins sometimes. <laughs> no. Uh, God made us all as he meant us to be. I mean, each one individually, if he wanted different, I'd look like you and you'd look like me. How boring would that be, you know? He's given us all our own little spark, our own ministry, our own things that have happened in life. Things that have happened to me in life lead me to one one little phrase that has worked for me, and that is, pray before you say. You know, we're we're called to the hospitals a lot for for, uh, covering weeks for deacons and and uh, we don't mind. In fact, we enjoy going to the hospitals to meet someone who's going to be facing surgery or who has, has had tests or whatever. What, we, what we're afraid of is getting that call after 11 o'clock. And we've, we've all received those. And uh, when, I get, when I get those, that little phrase comes to me, pray before you say. Because when you're walking into a, a hospital room where somebody's been sitting for a while or planning on events, it's very easy to sit down and converse with them about what's going to happen and what the doctors and nurses are going to be doing for him. The hard part is getting that call. I don't know if my brother Jim's here tonight. Um, when I got a call that night that Jim Ruckman had that awful accident, I got down as quick as I, I was the closest one to the hospital, I think, logistically, and I, I got there. And, uh, Knowing some first aid and going through some nursing school, I knew what the doctors and nurses were doing to him, and they had to do it, and they had the logic to do it. That didn't bother me. What bothered me was my brother looking up with that gray-white pallor of fear in his face with all that pain, and you're left as the only brother in the room to say something to him. And thank goodness I employed this thing with my own conscience a long time ago would pray before you say, don't just mouth off. 
And I, at those brief seconds, God hears every prayer, <laughs> even if it's, God, give me something. Because I'm startled by the look of my brother. They're all torn up and barely breathing. And, and I, I want to be, as a man, we want to be profound. As a Christian, we want to be comforting. Uh, and as a buddy, we, we want to add, add some levity to the situation if we can. And I'm sure I said something ornery to him, like, I don't want to use your tree stand, uh, something like that. He laughed for a second, but they asked me to leave the room because they were getting ready to put a rod through his chest to drain his lungs. And that didn't bother me either. But what bothered him was being hustled out of the room before I had a chance to say something to Jim. And I, I, at that brief moment, I thought, maybe this is the last time I'm going to talk to him because he was in bad shape, as you well know. And... Again, before I turned, Lord, give me something. And I think all I had a hold of was his foot, because that's all they weren't working on was his foot. And I don't even remember what I said, but he looked up over the sheet and grinned real big and gave me a nod. And that that I left that operating room or that ER room with such peace. I know he's going to be taken care of, not from what I said, but I had the peace that whatever was just said, we both understood it and where it came from. And he was going to make it out. It's going to be a long road, but I knew he was going to make it out of there. Uh, just a few years ago, I had an apprentice. We were working up in on Warwood Avenue, and uh, it, was a, it was a bad job. We were four feet deep under the street working in sewage. Plumbing is not always pretty. But we were in mud and raw sewage. And we were all covered up from everything and and uh, I had just gotten out of the ditch to go to my truck to get some paperwork. And we heard this awful crash in the street right behind us. Thank goodness, to get in my truck, I had taken my coveralls down, wrapped them around my waist, took my gloves off and my mask. And when that happened, we were the only two people around. It was very early in the morning, and I, I went over to the, the hole where my buddy was, and I pulled him up out of the hole, so we got to do something. Not heroically, because you don't need a hero there. You just need people to apply themselves. And that's, that's all the Lord asks of us, to apply ourselves. We don't need the heroes from the, from the pulpit all the time. We need people in the pews to step up and do something. And that's all we were going to do was something. And uh, a little two-year-old girl had gotten rocketed through the windshield. And she was laying on the dashboard. The mother was about halfway in and out of it because she had hit her steering, head on the steering wheel. Two boys in the back seat were pretty well roughed up. And as I went around the side of the car to see if the little girl was okay, she was, of course, a bloody mess, but she was moving around and thrashing and wanted her mama. So we, we kind of knew there wasn't a broken neck, there wasn't a broken limb. She was just a, an awful mess. And you don't know what goes through people's minds when in that kind of accident, but the mother looked over at me, some strange man opened up the door, and all she said was, baby, go with the nice man, because she was pretty much out of it. And with just a, a few seconds, we were able to get, there was an uh, insurance company across the street, and they had opened their doors, and they said, bring him in here. And, uh, and we did, and thank goodness, as soon as I laid that little girl down on the bench, I got pushed out of the way by an EMT that had just seen everything. I felt so relaxed that this guy knew what he was doing. He was the right guy joining on the spot to take care of things. But there wasn't any prayer going on. And there wasn't anybody speaking at the moment. Everybody was just screaming and carrying on. And, and again, 
prayed before you say, I said, Lord, give me something. And again, I'm, I'm no Ron Price, I'm no Tom Steele, I'm no Billy Graham, but I tell you what, when I asked for that, I heard the most eloquent, comforting thing come out of my mouth for about five or ten minutes. And it wasn't me. I mean, it goes my voice. But aren't we blessed so much to be a part of something that God does we don't know what he's doing? Uh, when I was done, I, I said amen, and the, the mother, and again, like Jim's gray pallor, scared face, thanked me. And I looked, and my apprentice had his head bowed the whole time, but he was staring. He was watching. He, he knew I was a Christian, but he didn't know what just happened. And when we walked back out, I, I just shook it off. We went back to work, and as he's in the ditch, he goes, what did you just do there? So I, re- I really don't know, but I asked, I asked God to help me out with it, and he did. He said, well, I don't know if I'm more impressed with you or God. And I said, well, be impressed with God because we're supposed to be what? Just instruments. He plays us. Um, I think sometimes our, our faith, faith in our own ability sometimes overrides God's direction in our lives. Because just the opposite has happened to me where I've been so ashamed for speaking. Have, have any of you been there where you wish you could have taken something back? Uh, uh, the first year I got to play, Peter, uh, every night, closing night for the last 20 years probably, they've had a minister give the invitation at the end. And I was so blessed because they came and said, as Peter in, in that garb, we'd like to, you to give the invitation. Well, I was... I was feeling pretty good about that, honored, but the honor and confidence went to cockiness. And the only reason they asked me to do that was a couple weeks before I had given a a TV interview and a a radio interview about that role and about the ministry of He's Alive, and it was very humble and thankful for being a part of that ministry. But I had two weeks to think about what I was going to say. And Bob... And the entertainer in me and the guy that happened to be on stage took over and put the humble Christian part of me aside and said, they heard you sing, they heard you act, now wait till they hear you preach. So I, I got together a group of what I thought were great, profound stories great one-liners for, you know, like Vance Havner and Adrian Rogers, and I tried to compile it all into about ten minutes, and it was horrendous. I had it all locked down in my brain, and I said it word for word like I, I thought it ought to be said. In spite of me, four people came forward at night to rededicate themselves, but it was what they had witnessed for that hour previous, the the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that, that's what touched them. And that's when I got to thinking, you really need to shut up and let God talk. And I don't know about y'all, but I really work on shutting up more than I do speaking. Uh, especially as, as deacons, as, as Christians, we're, we're to listen more than we talk. You know, if we were meant to talk more than to hear... We'd have two mouths and only one ear. Uh, I think that sometimes we have two or three mouths that are jabbering all the time, and that's 
that's sometimes my issue. But, uh, I, I want to leave you with a, a little something that, believe it or not, my 11-year-old gave me. It was a little piece of theology and, I, and actually science. Dean's really big into science and, and reading about facts. And uh, I always told him one time, facts are great if you can use them. Otherwise, I don't need them. But he heard me preparing some of this for the deacons that Saturday or that uh, Friday night it was. And he said, what are you doing? And I told him what it was. It was kind of about how to properly speak to people and what we have to watch out for and not do. And He told me about something called a sea louse. It's a creature. And what the sea louse is, it's a parasite that lays on the bottom of the ocean with debris and garbage and we'll say poop in the pulpit, but that's what it is. We all know what it is. But that's what lays on the bottom of the ocean. And this stuff lays with it. It's a parasite. And uh, little nematodes and other animals eat that stuff and it stays with them. And a fish will come along and eat that. Well, what happens is that parasite attaches itself only to the tongue of that fish. It just likes that vascular, muscular area of the fish, and that's what it stays tied to. Well, it feeds on that tongue, and eventually it disables that fish's tongue and takes it over. Now, it doesn't act like a tongue anymore, but it pretty much replaces that space with itself. And in return, the fish dies, floats to the surface, becomes debris and garbage that other birds eat. They eat it. You know what happens next after they eat? ends up back down to the bottom of the ocean again, and it gets recycled again, like a lot of the garbage that we gossip with. And I think sometimes the little devil works behind the scenes and making his own little sea louse, and he creates through other people the garbage that we consume. And we listen to some of the garbage and some of the hoop people spew out about others, even our brothers and sisters. And we feed on that, and we keep feeding on it, and then we tell somebody else about it, and our tongue eventually gets taken over by the sea louse. And, of course, what's the best thing we could do? Stop the cycle. It, don't eat what people are throwing out there. And if you see somebody else eating it, give them something else to eat. Give them some truth. Give them some compassion. Let them feast on that. Uh, it's not just the small fish are doing it, but it's a small-minded fish for us. And, and we need to remind people that we're better than that, God's better than that, and this ministry is better than that, amen? That we can feed each other with more than the garbage around us. That's all I have for you all tonight. But I ask you would pray with me for a moment. Lord, I ask that uh, whatever we say and do, be to your honor and glory, and Lord, that... Uh, you remind us every day out there about that sea louse that's hanging out, laying in wait for us to consume. And it may look tasty at the time, Lord, because it's something we can dig on somebody else with. But, Lord, remind us not to consume it, to leave it aside, to pray before we say, to ask your guidance in every prayer, every conversation, every counsel we take part in, that we don't use our words, we use yours. Lord, we ask your blessing on everything that comes out of our mouths, whether it's a song, a prayer, just a conversation across the table, that you bless everything that we say and do to draw others to you. These things we ask your name. Amen.